you can't do this without community. So I see so many, so many people, especially women, not telling anybody about what they're doing. I haven't told anybody yet. Yeah. And I've always been, I, I, again, when I knew I was done that day, I also knew I had to live it out loud because I didn't, I couldn't leave any doors open. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast, episode 87. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last six years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. And we created Tribe Sober because we believe it's really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. And each week we feature a community voice just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe. To be able and open up to other people who are in the same boat where you can get the support and and not this nightmare idea, well, I probably have to go into rehab. What is your family thinking about it? What are your friends thinking about it? That was for me an absolute nightmare thought until I came across Tribe Sober where I realized there are other ways uh, to engage and to yeah. actually overcome the dependency. It's it's such a good way yeah. to, to fight it and to overcome it. So if you want to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. My guest today is Peggy Cooney. She's a senior social worker with 16 years of field experience And these days, she trains other social workers to cope with the many challenges of their work. She's written a very moving personal memoir about her own struggles with alcohol. It's called This Side of Alcohol. One of the things that shines out from that book is her love and appreciation of the recovery community and the support we all give each other. She leads a community group on Facebook also called This Side of Alcohol structured to enjoy daily conversation, insight and support around alcohol recovery. She is a mentor, a leader and a coach in the recovery community. So I began by asking Peggy to introduce herself. I live in Northern California um, in a West Sacramento, which is right next to California's capital of Sacramento. So it's on the Sacramento River. I work for I work as a social work instructor for UC Davis. 
and I teach uh, in the Northern Training Academy. So I'm responsible for training brand new social workers to the state of California. Part of my story around um, being a social worker that works with families with addiction. So there's that. Yes, yes. Certain irony there, but you'll, you you know, the understanding will be deep. So let's dive into the drinking a little bit. I mean, my story was that I I drank socially, you know, in my teens, 20s, 30s, well, with the odd mishap, you know, going completely over the top sometimes, but more or less drinking socially. Uh, And then, um, when I tried to cut down in my 40s and 50s, I couldn't. So that's when I realized I was dependent. But your story is rather different in that you, you didn't seem to drink too much as you were younger, you know, like like I did. It was only when you got to your, your 50s, really, that you yeah. started drinking and then it escalated pretty quickly, didn't it? Yeah, it certainly did. And you know, it's not to say that I didn't have those bingy, uh, you know, in my 20s, kind of, you know, those those periods yeah. where we all got smashed out of our head. And one of the things that sticks out for me is that my best friend and my roommate, um, who I've reconnected with, which is really interesting, after 40 years, she was the maid of honor in my wedding. We were roommates and we we drank together in our 20s. You know, I never I never drank alone, never did any. It was all, you know the 20s social thing, right? No, my parents were, my parents drank and um, it was very uh, impactful in in my childhood growing up. Alcohol always played a role in, um, in my, in my youth. So I wasn't anything I was interested in. If you're, if you're a child, well, I was child welfare, uh, child protective services in in, in U.S. um, and also adult protective services. So that was, that was my job. I worked for the state. We know that we know that we're going to see child abuse and elder abuse, right? So that's part of the job. But what I didn't expect was the system sucks. Um, you know, a, a kid discloses that they're being abused and then we take them and put them in a complete stranger's home. And the system is so broken that it was heartbreaking. Right. And so that kind of was maybe the start, you know, my very early 50s to come home and kind of like have a couple glasses of wine. You know, that's that's where it started. And as my job progressed, uh, there was a horrible incident. My my boss, um, sec- a female, sexually um, uh, harassed a male coworker, one of my colleagues. And it was it. We had no idea how bad it was, and it got so bad that he came to me and said he wanted to kill himself. And. Of course, I told, and I don't know how relative all this is with the government work in your country, but being a whistleblower, I was completely ostracized. (laughs) So she got escorted off the building. He left um, on stress, and I had her job, his job, and my job for a year, and I just... By eight months in, I almost lost it. Um, my blood pressure was high. My daughter was getting married that year. I just, that's when it escalated for me. I just, I would i would make okay. it, I would go to work and try to figure it out. And then I would come home and numb out. And, and um, I still yeah. wasn't really drinking, you know, like 
sneaking it yet. That kind of came with my husband bitching at me about it. But that's really what happened. You know, I just, yeah, I, I really felt like someone was going to die on my watch and I wasn't supported. And my husband is a public, you know, he's a financial analyst working for a public company, a private company, and he had no idea the mess that government can be. And yeah. Yeah. And he couldn't believe that I was being bullied. Like he wouldn't, it's like, oh my God, then you need to stand up for yourself and you need to, you know, you shouldn't put up with this and blah, blah, blah. You know, I wasn't getting any kind of support. It was all like, then you need to fix it. Then you need to, you know, you need to quit or whatever, you know. Yeah. And did you realize during this time, Peggy, that your your drinking was problematic and that you would have to get some help or make no, a change? No, or no. did you, you're just in denial, really? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and this is what happened. So I, I, I put an app on my phone. I wasn't going to let them win because I had a full retirement. I would have lost part of my retirement. Plus, I'm just stubborn and I didn't want them to win. So I put an app on my phone and got a retire, uh, you know, a retirement app, you know, and it a countdown to retirement. So I, I stayed 24 months, and and even the for some reason the the abuser got to come back, and that was, you know, that's another that's another story altogether. Um, but 14 days after I retired, UC Davis called me and asked me to come to work for them. This is when I realized that I had a problem because here I get offered this dream job. It's like twice as much money for half the time. And it's, it's a dream job. I actually get to teach social workers to avoid some of the pitfalls that, that I had. But that's when I realized that I had this thought that said, now you can stop drinking because everything's better. But that's when I realized it was a problem. I'm, you know, yeah, I got an instructor out of yeah. the year out of 1,750 instructors. And I I came home that night. That was, you know, two years later, but that's when I really knew it was in there. Like I drank before I got my award. Now, you know, the pre-drinking and of course, you know, with the university, there was drinking there, you know, and I, my pre-drinking happens because I didn't want my director to know that, you know, so I'd only look like I had one glass of wine at the, at the reward, you know, the award ceremony. Yeah. Right. That's when all the sneaky yeah. Lying stuff happened. Yeah. The pre-drinking and the not drinking much at the event and then the drinking when you get home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I remember yeah. it well. So uh, you probably set rules for yourself and tried oh, to cut course. down, did you? Of course. You yeah. know, yeah. not drinking during yeah. the week. And, of course, my um, when we didn't have COVID, I was mostly drinking about, you know, I mean, I was mostly teaching about 15 minutes away from where I where this condo is. And I would say in the, you know, when I felt like shitty in the morning, kind of, you know, hungover, a little stomach ache. I had a stomach ache this morning and I thought, oh, my God, I have not had a stomach ache in like 28 months, you know, and it was just part of my life, you know, having a having a stomach ache and a low grade hangover was just who I was. You know, on the way home, I take a side road um, to avoid the traffic and Nugget grocery store is, you know, I would in the morning, I would drive by there and go, you're not you're not stopping there tonight. You're not stopping there on the way home, you know, that bargaining. And and I would stop every time, every time. And, you know, really, at the end, it was as I could take the side roads. I was drinking in the car. 
yeah. It's interesting what you said there about um, the stomach ache, you know, and the low-grade hangover. Because I, I think when we do drink, we just get used to feeling not very good. You know, we're always below par, aren't we? And that's why sobriety is so great because you just feel alive, you know, and energetic and optimistic and all the things you didn't feel when you were drinking. Yeah. It's, it's just crazy because you, you feel like all of a sudden now, and then you get into this world where you're, you're putting one over on them. I mean, I got, I just got an award for being a teacher with a low grade hangover and a stomachache every day. Yeah, yeah. So not only do you numb out from the pain, but you couldn't really feel the joy of, of achievement on that day, yeah. probably not as keenly no. as you would feel it feel no. it now. So I think like me, you had a bit of a rock bottom, didn't you, that, that changed everything. So tell us what tell us what happened that day, that um, fateful day. That fateful day. Uh my husband has a um I, his family has a yearly uh, a family reunion in Lake Tahoe. It's one of our prettiest lakes in, in California. And every year, and I always um, I always feel lonely there, even though our kids, you know, we're a blended family and our kids are all friends and they're all, the cousins are all cousins and all of that. But I, I was determined that I wasn't going to let, because there had been some, and obviously um, before that day, there had been some, you know, I passed out at, at my daughter's mother-in-law's on Easter, created a couple scenes at a couple weddings, a family weddings, you know, um, uh, and not kind of a strained relationship with my, with my adult stepdaughter. So I didn't drink anything at the picnic. I didn't even pre-drink. I just didn't drink anything. When I came home, I slammed, I slammed, um, and I don't even drink whiskey. So, I mean, but that was the only thing that was there. I'm not even a whiskey mm-hmm. drinker and it, and it just eight hours in the sun, couple shots. Yeah. I was drunk. So my husband just went crazy. Just absolutely. He didn't hit me, but he verbally went crazy and he was screaming at me when my daughter and uh, my son-in-law, they have a set of, at the time, a set of twin, two sets of twins, three and seven. And my son walked in the door to, witness Paul screaming at me and uh Brett my youngest went after him and Jason my son-in-law had to pull him off my husband in front of my grandkid right Paul left with no intention of of returning to the marriage and I was I don't think I could have hated myself any more than I hated myself I mean I hate just looking at those kids face was it was heartbreaking so I went to bed um and then the next morning my daughter said to me uh mom if you don't do something about your drinking you can't have the relation I'll I'll, I will I will care for you but you can't have the relationship you want with me and the kids or Jason and I knew I, I I feel so fortunate because I knew at that moment I was done you're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. 
Yeah, it's. I think it's important to get to that point for some of us. Um, I, I was the same. I mean, I, I had a blackout, you know, a very bad blackout where I lost a huge chunk of the day. It wasn't one of these grey out things. It was just a, <laughs> a walking, talking blackout. Uh-huh. And um, I remember the next morning waking up and having that feeling. I thought, I can't do this anymore. You know, I'm done. And from that moment onwards, um, for me, you know, it was all about how am I going to do this? Yeah. But I think once you've decided that you're not going to waste your entire life on this roundabout, then, uh, you know, things things get easier. So I guess talk, talk us through how you did it. That yeah. I know you found yeah. a lovely group. Tell us a little bit more about that. I'd love for you to to hook you up with Jen too. What happened was I went in the bedroom and I'd, I'd seen this uh, uh, 21 day reset by Jen Couch from Sober Sis um, on my, you know, of course, if you, you know, if you research, um, if, if you have a drinking problem, then you start getting advertising, right? So I walked yes. in there and, and uh, uh, Jen Couch and her uh, Labradoodle Franklin you know, popped up on my Facebook page, literally, and I signed up in the bedroom. And she has a part of her 21 day reset is putting people in a Marco group, which is like a video walkie talkie sort of thing. And I um about 25 women each. And so I got right on the Marco and 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 posted a Marco like right in the bedroom. And I, I still have that picture, because it's one of the most pathetic hungover pictures you've ever seen if you ever want to like remember what you actually look like when that happened yes and <clears throat> I think that's that's a good thing I, I tell people to take a selfie on day one mm-hmm. and then look at it after oh, 100 yeah. days and it's Horrific. like a different person so yeah so that's <laughs> what I did and um and the reset that was July 12 2019 so the reset actually didn't start until December I mean uh August 1st and so I just I, I, I got in, you know, I, she did a, you know, she did a video, uh, you know, you know, maybe a recorded video. I don't remember. And I got Annie Grace's book. I got, I, I probably read 10 books, Claire Pooley's book, um, Sober Diaries, Alcohol Explained, Alcohol Lied to Me. Um, I just went. Um, and I am that kind of person. I've always been that kind yeah. of person where I, you know, I, I drank 150% and now I, I just yeah, yeah. redid it like a research project. I knew yeah. my family, yeah, I, I always my think- family did not believe me. Right. So they were, but I knew, I yeah. knew I was done. I'm, and I, and I felt like, yeah, yeah. um, I, it wasn't me to convince my family. I'm just like, you don't, cause my Lindsay said, mom, you need to go into rehab. And I go, I'm not going. It's not, I don't need that. Okay. I wasn't physically no, addicted no. to alcohol. I was really psychologically addicted to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know that only ten percent of people mm-hmm. of drinkers are um, yeah. physiologically yeah. Um, addicted? Yeah, I, I thought that was quite interesting. Very With most of us, it's it's habit and it's psychological. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, I love the way that you treated it as a as a research project because that's what I say to people. You know, I, I just say throw the book at this thing. You know, if you really give it your all for six months, then you can do this. You know, I don't think you have to go to rehab. I don't think you have to go to meetings for the rest of your life. You know, no. but you do have to throw 
the book in it. And we tend to be, us drinkers, I think we tend to be all or nothing people, yeah. you know, just like you've mentioned that you are, because we drank all the wine, didn't we? And now we're putting our all into sobriety. <laughs> and that's why I, I mean, I think it it's, works. It's definitely a gift um, to have that because I, that's how I've always been about everything. My worry was yeah. that I was going to get bored with it. Yeah, but but you don't, do you? I mean, this is my seventh year of doing this. And my husband says to me sometimes, he says, don't you get bored about yeah. talking about sobriety all the time? And I say, not yeah. at all. You know, there's just so much. There's so much science behind it, so much psychology, you know, the, the community and the different takes mm -hmm. on it. Uh, I'm not at all bored. It's it's fascinating. I think I'm ready for my PhD now. <laughs> I know, and I feel that way too. My husband's so, a financial analyst, and he's like, Peggy, that is like not cost effective. I go, I know, but I I feel a pull towards it too. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's interesting. So when uh, I went through my first kind of year of sobriety, about month, I can't remember exactly which month, but maybe months four and five, I felt really down, you know, and, and I felt a real low and I thought, I'm not sure I can do this thing because, um, you know, it's, I'm bored and it's, I feel miserable and nothing's happening. And, you know, I, I just went through a real low and mm -hmm. I just wondered if that happened to you. Because of COVID, I think I had a false sense of it being okay. Do you know what I mean? Like I didn't, yeah. COVID hit when I was seven, about seven months sober. So I, I, I think I was sheltered from making those comparisons about like going to something social. Like I didn't yeah. have a choice. So I think putting in another, almost another year of not having to face all these social um, event, I, you yeah. know, things, I think it was a, I think it was a real gift to me. You know, I went to Thanksgiving yeah. and Thanksgiving was my first really big, you know, the first Thanksgiving I went to the cabin by myself and Paul went to his sisters. The second Thanksgiving COVID happened. And then this thing, Thanksgiving, I went um, to be with my, my, all my kids were all in one place. So that was really nice. But I felt, you know, it was, it was uncomfortable as much as I planned yeah. for it. I, you know, um, a very small two bedroom condo where everybody's lined up around the room and, you know, someone would say, do you want a pomegranate margarita? Do you want a pomegranate margarita and skip me? I don't. Oh, and, yeah. You know, and then later they were starting to do some shots and, and then, you know, somebody said, wow, Peggy, I'm so proud of you that you've written a book. And then of course somebody else would say, what's it about? Well, it's about quitting alcohol. However, I, you know, I got a hotel room and when I was done, I just went back to the hotel room. You know, I, yeah. I, I yeah. didn't. And have at least by, by that point, your sobriety was kind of bedded in, you know, because I think to have to do that kind of thing when you're two months sober, it's really, really difficult because we just feel so raw, don't we, to begin with. Mm -hmm. But at least during COVID, you knew that nobody else was going out either. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> you, it was a real gift. You didn't I, get that. It's either been yeah. a gift for people or it's been a nemesis for people. You know, it gave them yeah. more yeah. opportunity to be day drinkers, right? So you know, it's really, yeah, helped. yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, 
I certainly know in the UK and the US, the alcohol sales went up considerably during COVID. You know, in that UK, I think they've had 20% more alcohol-related deaths in the last couple of years. So it's really taken a toll. And I think that people that didn't drink much anyway, that they were fine. But people that uh, already were on the edge of dependency, they just, you know, went the wrong way. I'm sure I would have done. I'm, I'm so grateful that I was, you know, sober by the time COVID came along. How long are you alcohol-free now? On Sunday, it's 28 months. Fantastic. Well, huge congratulations to you. you. And I think, you know, like, like you, I'm, uh, I'm, not, I'm not in my first threshes of, of youth. And I think as we get older, it's one of the best things we can do, oh. isn't it? You know, for our health. And there, there's, it's a miserable kind of old age, isn't it? If, if yeah. you're just drinking all the time, it's, yeah. we just do ourselves so much harm. So I know because I read your book that you're you're still doing the work. So yeah. uh, let's just um, hear about what you're doing. What are the key things you do on a daily basis to sustain your sobriety? I have a pretty strict um, morning routine. I have a, a surrender novena prayer that um, I never really was all that religious before. And I don't think I'm religious, but it's really a uh, nine different surrender prayers that you're just giving it up in the morning, just letting everything go. And then I journal. I usually listen to a, a, the luckiest club meeting um, in the morning that we have a where I am, it's 5am. So it's a really nice start to my day because I get up at 430 every day, pretty much. So um, that morning of being uh, by myself and having me time is crucial. Before, you know, my husband gets up, I just have to have that, you know, settling in. And of course, you know, I have a, a Facebook page with, it's almost uh, 7,400 7, people. So I spend, you know. A yeah, half I know. I'm, I'm one of them. I love your Facebook group. <laughs> half an hour to an hour. Really engaged. Yeah. Encouraging people, yeah. you know, trying to, I can't hit everything. But I do spend time just responding and encouraging, especially the people that are early on, you know, in sobriety. And, yeah. and I'm pretty upfront about it. You know, when someone says I can't drink, you know, I can't stop drinking, trying to be positive, like saying, you know, you just you have to love recovery more than you love drinking or, you know, things or, you know, have you tried this book or this book and try and you, you have to do something different, right? You can't, you yeah, can't do the yeah. same thing. And I think, uh, I think the more that people can, you know, just, I always say, join a few groups, read a few books, listen to podcasts, even if you're not ready yet, just immerse yourself in it, you know, and gradually I think the seeds are planted and, and people all realize, you know, that in fact we, we gain so much more than we lose, don't we? Yeah. Once you learn the yeah. science, you cannot unlearn it. And I love yeah. that you interviewed yeah. um, William Porter. Jen Couch just uh, interviewed him as well. And so he was on one of our, uh, so he, he was a presenter for our uh, quarterly summit. He's just a character. Um, so he, he reminds me of my husband. He's very scientific and just says 
how it is, right? Yeah. Well, he's, he's a lawyer, isn't he? So yes. yeah. I, I didn't know that until he, he presented, but yeah, he's, he's got a day job, you know, unlike, unlike me that just does this, he's got holding down quite a responsible day job as a lawyer. I am so lucky because I work for a university that's letting me tell my story out loud. Yeah, I think that's great that your university is encouraging you to to share your story because the more people that understand, you know, that what the risks are, and I think that it should be taught in schools, you know. And oh. I, I had no idea um, about the danger of, of drinking, you know, a bottle of wine a night for decades, which is oh. what I did. And I run workshops these days, you know, and I can and people, you know, it's mostly women and they're they're bright women with with good jobs, and they sit there and I can see, you know, them listening, looking at the slides, and they can't believe what they're hearing, you know, that right. it's linked to seven different types of cancer, sixty diseases, yes. blah blah blah. You know, we know it backwards, but it's such a shock to them. So people don't know. I mean, it's it's. I think it was the World Health Organization that wrote a report saying that alcohol was a carcinogen, and that was in 1988. But this information just hasn't been in the public domain enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I've had breast cancer, and I had no idea that there was any relation between my heavy drinking and my breast cancer. It never crossed my mind. But now, gradually, you know, we, we are seeing it. So the more we can educate people by whatever means, the, the less you know likely pe people are to to fall into this trap because it is a trap. So let's go back to to your book for a moment. Um, what really struck me when I was reading it was um, your kind of love and appreciation of the recovery community and you know I, that so resonates with me because I feel exactly the same and and it's it's a bit like discovering a secret world isn't it you can't do this without community so I see so many so many people especially women not telling anybody about what they're doing I haven't told anybody yet yeah. and I've always been I I Again, when I knew I was done that day, I also knew I had to live it out loud because I didn't, I couldn't leave any doors open. I'd left doors open before. I'd gone for nine months with, you know, before my daughter got married, I stopped drinking for nine months and then started drinking at the wedding. Um, not a lot, but <laughs> Oops. that wedding was fine. Um, but you know, and again, I, I stopped for months at a time, nine months at a time. And then I stopped when I didn't stop. You know, I lied about it. You know, I just didn't drink. That's when it yeah. really, you know, I know we're getting off subject a little bit, but that's really when it got bad for me because then I, I wouldn't drink around anyone. I just drank in the closet. Yeah. You know, my wine, my wine yeah. bottles were holding up my boots. <laughs> yes. That, that's, I've like, heard that before, hiding the wine in your boots. Person. Who is this person that's hiding wine in her booth and gets up in front of social workers and teaches people how to work with families with addiction? Where Talk did about that... cognitive dissonance, Annie would call that. <laughs> to the 10th degree, right? It was like, it was insane. And I didn't even, you know, your brain is justifies so much that I, I don't even know if I got the connection to start out with, right? But you're so right about the community thing. And I think what what makes people do this alone 
I understand because I was there is we're ashamed and my my thinking went well I've got myself into this mess so I'll get myself out of it and nobody will be any the wiser but it doesn't work because you know nobody else knows what you're trying to do so you get the urge to have a drink and you have a drink and Mm -hmm. you know there's because there's no accountability there and also I I spent a decade you know trying to cut down because Mm -hmm. I couldn't accept that I I would never drink again hardest things is yeah the word never i don't know where the the switch happened from saying i can never drink again to i can drink whenever i want but i don't want to yeah i just don't want to yeah yeah and that that really is freedom isn't it when we Mm -hmm. just don't want it anymore you know i don't think any of my kids um have any issue with alcohol but it doesn't mean they won't and you know my brother is 35 years sober um, my little brother is eight months sober. Wow. You know, my parents, you know. And um, did, did you influence him, do you think, your, your little brother? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I liked something that you said in your book about um, last lasting recovery only happens in community because, you know, we have a, a community and occasionally people will say, um, okay, I'm sober now, you know, maybe they're six months sober and they say I feel great you know love you all but I'm off now (laughs) and a few months later they'll come back you know and they'll say no it all went a bit wrong I thought I'd just have the odd glass and I couldn't and I missed you all so I really agree you know you've got to stay in your community Mm -hmm. and what what I love is um when we see people paying it forward because um when people are quite you know, settled in their sobriety, say, um, a year, then we uh, ask them to be sober buddies. So it's a bit like the AA Mm -hmm. sponsorship thing, you know, they're just there to offer another layer of of accountability. They hang around for years and they love the fact that they're helping other people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I agree with you. We need to to stay in our community and and help other people to do, do what we've done. Another thing I loved about your story, Peggy, was if you analyze it, you stopped drinking to save your family, didn't you? You know, your Mm -hmm. husband had walked out, your daughter, you know, gave you a bit of an ultimatum there. So you did it for them, obviously. Mm -hmm. But you've stayed sober because of how it makes you feel, haven't you? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I know I said in my book, I was teaching by day and breaking my family's heart at night. But now, I have a third more to my day. I mean, I feel like yeah, no. I I have time to help others. I can watch a I can watch a TV show and remember it. But you know, one of the things that I'm realizing that is just such a gift with my brain is I can figure shit out. Like before <laughs> things would send me into a spiral, you know. Yeah. My husband's very analytical, right? And I'm just like, just do it. Just fix it. You fix it. But I'm finding I can I can figure stuff out now and it feels so good. I am I'm the yeah. worst technologically and we had to switch over to Zoom teaching. And I'm I'm I I'm teaching other people how to use it now. I'm really smart now. And I don't mean it like ego-wise. It's like I never believe I I knew I was ambitious and I work hard and you know I in grad school I got an A minus and I tried to talk the teacher out of it because I'm like I get all A's I don't get A minuses but 
it's that real sincere, right? That, that I, I'm a really good person and I'm, I can figure stuff out and I'm smart. Cause I think even in my marriage, yeah, I think yeah. I've always like figured that he's the smart one, but I'm figuring stuff out now. He's, he's had a recent medical thing and I become this huge advocate for figuring stuff out. Cause we still don't know where his headaches are coming from and the diagnosis and that. But now I'm like, I'll look stuff up. I'll call the doctor. I mean, it's, it's because I'm present. Like all of me is here. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. so awesome. Surprise. He's a superpower. <laughs> totally. It's so ironic that, so uh, <laughs> that we drink because we feel stressed, you know, but the key is to think about, well, what, why am I stressed? And then if we're sober, we can deal with it, can't we? Mm-hmm. We can sort shit out, as you put it. Yeah, I mean, the fact that we get so much more time when we're sober and then we've we've got energy and creativity to do something tangible and, and constructive with it rather than just pour this toxin down our throats it's uh, there's no comparison really you're listening to a podcast from tribe sober if you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab that's www.tribesober.com so I wanted to ask you um, just to comment on the societal shift that I think oh, you know, yeah. we're, we're both feeling, aren't we, towards sobriety. <laughs> We've got alcohol-free drinks galore. We've got an international recovery community. And we've even got our magazine, haven't we? Let's talk mm-hmm. about uh, Ola Sober. Yeah. Because you, uh, you write for them every month, I think, don't you? Not, not every month, but I do write for them. I remember... I, I run a recovery group on Wednesday nights, kind of a combination of Sober Sis and the Luckiest Club. And one of the girls saying, I really need sober friends. And I'm, I'm you know, and I, it kind of meant something to me in the, in the beginning. But Sunday, we met for coffee, um, about five of us out of the group. We, we get together occasionally because it's all San Francisco Bay Area people. And we had so much fun, Janet. We had we were we were belly laughing, just insanely belly laughing. And it just hit me as we were walking out into the parking lot, these friendships that we're creating and this movement that we are showing the world in the middle of this restaurant, this cool restaurant, that we don't and, and we were noticing like people were taking selfies with wine glasses. That was kind of inter- you know interesting to watch. But I don't think I've ever had friendships like this in my life. No, no. They're kind of real, aren't they? It was just walking out. Last night I had a a, a dinner with a, another sober friend that I've met. And I just wish everybody could experience this because it is just a new level of being. It's, yeah. a, it's a completely yeah. new level. Yeah, I just love the way that we're... We, we're just um, completely honest, aren't we? Straight away, you know, the bond is there oh, sometimes before that. we've even yes. met each other. Yeah. yeah. It's um, it's the power of vulnerability, isn't it? To quote your wonderful Brene Brown lady. But feeling <laughs> we're, really we're not vulnerable. afraid to be vulnerable with each other. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, we, let's give a shout out to Susan Christina though, because oh. I, I just wanted to say that I think her her magazine is is making sobriety just as cool and glamorous as we used to think Isn't drinking it? was. Isn't you know? it? It's an amazing magazine, and I think there's maybe three or four Susan Christinas because I don't know how anyone <laughs> yes. does what that woman does. She's leading a revolution. What sets her apart from other people is she shares this world with us. When you watch her in motion, someone will say they're struggling, right? She, you know, somebody will get on and share in her meetings that, that, that they're struggling. She doesn't say, I love you. You're going to be fine. She just turns you into a revolutionary and says, you're not going to drink today. You are, I mean, it is, it is this approach that I, you know, I feel like I'm in freaking church when I go to her meetings, you know, I'm like, I want to stand up and say, <laughs> hallelujah, Susan Christina. It's such a privilege because I feel like I make a difference in the world because I'm attached to her, uh, you know, her strength. Yeah, yeah. no, I absolutely agree. And sobriety has needed a rebrand for an awful long time and i just think if anybody can do it that woman can do it i'm writing that down sobriety um so let's finish off by talking a little bit about your book for anybody that doesn't know about it yet just talk talk to us about what it's called and why you wrote it i'd like to ask you a personal question was it painful to write was it cathartic what was the process did it just come easily or Totally cathartic, not painful at all. Um, in fact, Good. I, I've always kind of worshipped my dad and love and and kind of blamed my mom for everything. So I think it was my dad was just fun, right? So you know, my dad would you know go get it. You know, he he'd go out for antifreeze for the car and come home with a new car. <laughs> so it was always like <laughs> okay, kind of fun. okay. And my mom, you know, my mom was very sick with rheumatoid arthritis. And, um, and, and I think, again, her, her drinking problem was really uh, underground. I didn't know she was drinking. I had no idea that that was the issue. That's what turned her into a Jekyll and Hyde. So I think I was more mad at my mom. than. And so really, the writing has been so cathartic. Now I like this last year, I actually put some Christmas ornaments out that my mom had made. She, she was so talented. She decorated department store windows at Christmas time. And I'm like having conversations with her now, like, Hey mom. And, and I just think that she, if she had, she was a, a, an avid reader. And so I, I think that she would have been so excited to have had this smorgasbord of recovery so yeah. I, I feel yeah. like I've actually connected with my parents because I, you know, I really did go through, you know, I lost my parents. I lost a nine month old child all in 18 months. And I spent the next, next, you know, 15 years going, I'm okay. Nothing to see here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, we do. Yeah. So no, it, it, yeah. it really the connects trauma. me. All the stories started coming back, yeah. you know, like some of the funny stories about my dad and having a, yeah. a cigarette. I well, think, I think yeah. you're absolutely right about your mum, you know, if she'd have uh, had the opportunities that we've had, you know, to to get sober. Because in those days, I mean, it was AA or nothing, wasn't it? So the book, 
back to the book. What's it called? It's called this <laughs> side got, of alcohol. Got to be your agent here. Yeah. You're oh, not yeah. very good. No, at it's called your this book. side of alcohol. I laughed the other day because there's a couple of people that wrote me and said, you know, I I love your book. Um, but thank God I have the hardcover because I can, you know, take the cover off because my kids are asking and I, you know, and that's you know, someday you're going to have to have Well, it, it's also it's also on Kindle if anyone's embarrassed because yes. I'm here in South Africa yeah. and I yeah, downloaded it you. in a few seconds on my, my Kindle, which is yeah. great. This and your website alcohol. is called? This Side of Alcohol. So, right. And again, also it, yeah. your it's, Facebook group, your Facebook group's called the same, isn't it? Yep. So This Side of Alcohol, it's a private yep. Facebook group and you just have to answer a few questions. You have to want to we really want people on that site that want to get sober, you know, have that are questioning their relationship with, with alcohol. I've been really lucky that we've only had to kick a few people out. So, so far anyway. Oh, really? I have a yeah. wonderful yeah. social media person. I, she's one of my colleagues and she, I do all the writing because um, I write a newsletter every week. And then I, we have content for the Facebook page. that's very interactive. Um, so people, you know, we have yeah. a discussion question and then we have, you know, people out in the community doing life alcohol free. So that's fun. And then I, and then I uh, do an excerpt from my, my, a raw excerpt from my uh, journal once a week. And then we, we will do a quote and then we do a community quote. So somebody in the community says something and it, it sounds really cool. Um, like the other day, somebody said, my life used to be in pieces. Now it's full of peace. Thank you so much, Peggy. Let's highlight some points from that conversation. Like many of us, Peggy used various tricks to disguise the fact that she was drinking too much. She talks of an award ceremony where she pre-drank and after-drank, but at the event, people saw her touching just one glass of wine all evening. And of course, she made up some rules for her drinking trying to drink moderately, trying to drink only at the weekend. And of course, like all of us, she failed to keep to her own rules. At one point, Peggy was hiding wine bottles in her boots in her wardrobe. And as you heard her say, she really struggled to recognise herself in those moments. She'd had lots of stomach problems and always felt below par during her drinking years. And it's only now that she feels so much better that she's joined up the dots and realised that her alcohol consumption was responsible for that feeling. Peggy had a rock bottom on the day that she was arguing furiously with her husband about her drinking. Her children and grandchildren walked in on them. She was mortified, and after that event, she realised that she was done drinking. I think many of us get to that point, don't we? When we're just done, we can't do it anymore. We're sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. So once Peggy had made up her mind to stop, she threw the book at it. She read all the quitlet, joined Sobersis, and did the 21-day reset. Unlike so many people that I've interviewed, she's a great fan of William Porter and loved my conversation with him, which you can find on episode 50 of the Tribe Sober podcasts. She describes an occasion where she was in a small condo with lots of people and they were drinking really heavily, including tequila shots. 
She'd known it might be difficult to cope, so she cleverly booked a hotel room nearby and was able to slip out quietly. That makes me think of one of our survival tips for socialising. Always have an escape plan. What will you do if things just get so difficult that you're tempted to drink? Peggy's plan was a great one, but if you're not too far from home, you can simply get in your car and drive home. If the people you've left are busy drinking, they probably won't even notice that you've gone. Peggy always knew that she wasn't physically addicted. Her addiction was psychological. If you have a listen to Tribe Sober podcast episode 48, you'll hear author Molly Watts explaining that only 10% of us are actually physically addicted to alcohol. Having said that, it's still important to get medical advice if you're drinking more than 14 units a day, but for many of us, the work is all about breaking those deeply entrenched habits. Although Peggy got sober as a result of an ultimatum from her husband and daughter, she stayed sober because of how good it made her feel. That reminds me of a story from sober punk John Turner on Tribe Sober episode 68. His fiancée had given him an ultimatum, so he very reluctantly ditched the booze. But six months later, he decided he would never go back to drinking because he felt so amazing. Peggy and I both agreed that COVID had been a gift for many drinkers in early sobriety as it had allowed them to opt out of socialising while they built up their sober capital. Yet for others who were already drinking too much and hadn't made any changes, COVID had proved to be their nemesis and resulted in even deeper levels of dependence. Now, Peggy and I are both ladies of a certain age, as the French so elegantly put it, and we agreed that ditching the booze is absolutely the best thing you can do for your health and your happiness as you get older. It really has given both of us a new lease of life. Like me, Peggy is enamoured by the recovery community, and we both agreed that without the support of community, it's extremely hard to change our drinking habits. And the great thing is that there are so many choices these days. There will be a sobriety group to suit just about everybody, whereas it used to be just AA. If you think we might be your people, then just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. Peggy talked about the switch when she went from thinking, I can never drink again, which comes from a place of deprivation, to I can drink whenever I want to, but I just don't want to, which of course comes from a place of freedom. For me, that's the difference between willpower, I can never drink again, and mindset, I simply don't want to drink. If you feel that you're missing out by not drinking, then it's never going to stick. And that's why community is so great, because you meet people further down the line from you and you'll realise that they're having a great time and they don't drink. Peggy explained that she feels she's got an extra third of her day back. I think this is one of the benefits of sobriety that we don't think about until it happens. When we're planning the drinking doing the drinking and recovering from the drinking, that takes up an awful lot of time that we could be spending on much more constructive things. Peggy comes across many women who keep their drinking problem a secret, but for her, she knew she had to live it out loud, as she put it. 
She knew she had to be accountable and not leave any doors open. She had to connect with others on the same path and talk about it. I know it's a cliche, but the truth really does set you free. She also talked about the deep connection that comes with the sober friendships that we make in recovery and how much fun she'd had with a group of sober women she'd never met before. She feels so much smarter now. As she puts it, she can figure shit out rather than just have a drink and try not to think about it. It's so ironic that we drink to cope with our stress, but if we stayed sober, we might actually stand a chance of dealing with the cause of our stress. Peggy's book is called This Side of Alcohol, so do get hold of a copy. It's really inspiring. And then, of course, she has her Facebook group, which is very lively. That's also called This Side of Alcohol, and she spends time on there every day engaging with her members, so do check it out. And if you'd like a copy of our PDF called 30 Signs You May Have a Problem with Alcohol, just email janet at tribesober.com. So let me finish with a message from one of our members on Slack chat. This one's from the lovely Ros, a Brit who lives in Spain. Morning, Trish and Ali, and of course anyone else out there. It's pretty early here in Spain too, but I was also awake and just thinking so thought I'd be better to get up and, as my mum used to say, have a potter around. Oh my gosh, I'm turning into my mum. Well, it's 208 days for me, and for me, six months was such a special milestone. After so many years of drinking, I made it through, and it's a wonderful feeling. I do feel as if I'm in a bit of a grey area, wondering what next, but I'm determined to get over this by staying connected and just really doing what I've been doing for the last seven months, which is staying really close to you, my tribe. So a little reach out with a lot of love to everyone this Friday morning. Oh, thank you, Roz. You're such an inspiration to our tribe. For the last five years, we've been running a Sober Spring Challenge here in South Africa, and this year we're extending it to the Northern Hemisphere. And we're already getting sign-ups for the Sober Spring Challenge, which starts on the 20th of March. 66 alcohol-free days, supported by daily emails and 66 mini-podcasts. And if you're wondering why 66, then you should know that that's the number of days it takes to build a new neural pathway. It's great fun as we put everyone on the sober spring bus on day one and they all travel through their 66 alcohol-free days together. There's always a great vibe on that bus as everyone encourages and supports each other. So don't miss it. Sign up today. Just go to tribesober.com and click Sober Spring 2022. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast. And we'd be so grateful if you'd leave us a review. And I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain. And we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards. And that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. 
It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.